0: Between the Chapters, a weekly podcast discussion focusing on a chapter of the book, 25 Years of Ed Tech, written by Martin Weller. Here's your host, Laura Pasquini.
1: Welcome to the episode. Today, I'm with Alan Levine to talk about Chapter 1, 1994, Bulletin Board Systems, BBS.
0: That sounds sounds so exciting. I can hear the little like modem beeping sounds in the back. (laughs)
1: listen we're still educating any of the youth that are listening to this out there what are they even talking about
0: like the fact that you'd be on the like the modem and someone in the house would pick up the phone
1: (laughs) mom i'm online (laughs) oh alan thanks for joining to talk about this first inaugural chapter i i picked on you because um I saw that you got a great little, uh, quotes from within the chapter. And I was like, what did Alan write about this? It was a great comment. That was like a blog post about this.
0: Yeah. Well, it was good. And, and, you know, I, I kind of, Martin is just so much fun because, um, he's 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 like so nice (laughs) um and you can tease him too a little bit and he doesn't take it personally he'll tease you right back and so like i mean i love what he's doing because um i mean my trajectory was was almost the same since i started in 92 um at the Maricopa community colleges. And, um, like, it's not like, Oh, I was there and I have all this insight, but, um, you know, and, uh, and it's, and it's also like, I don't want to fall down the trap of like glorifying like everything was so great back then. Um, right. but like, um, like, you know, often, you know, as, as Audrey waters writes is like, you know, with all the, you know, rush about technology now is that we, we leave and forget history. Um, and so, um, not that I had the history, but, um, you know, when I started my career, I kind of stepped into the middle of something I didn't know anything about, um, that I don't think, um, has gotten really much, much recognition. Uh, and so just thinking about 1994 and, you know, what this era was and, 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 you know, it, it is logical that Martin begins, um, this, um. Moment with, with that and kind of bulletin board systems, which sound almost archaic now, but they kind of make sense um, as the ideas um, that kind of spawned the things that we take for granted now in terms of online communication. Uh, so I don't, you know, I was saying earlier, like um, I was aware of BBSs. Um, I'm, I was trying to remember. I'm sure I tried one. Um, but I wasn't really active in them, so I'm I'm kind of a lot of times, you know, I'm talking like a little bit secondhandish um, an awareness about um, what was going on then. Um, but you know, wh- when I started, then you know, the focus is all about you know, I was interested in multimedia, um, and uh, it was a lot of interest in in, in laser disc, and um, you know, and this is even before you know, CD-ROM was just kind of coming up as the medium but the idea about using, um, interactive nonlinear multimedia, um, was, was really interesting. Um, and you know, and you know, there's a lot of interest now in video of course, cause we're, you know, people think, Oh God, we on video all the time in these zoom meeting things. And, um, and I'm just rambling here, but I was just listening to Jim Groom gave a talk. Um, uh, and he's got this interest now in like other variants of video. Um, but you know, I remember that like, um, my cousin went to Arizona State. He got his degree in Ed Psych in 1972. And basically that was Ed Tech in those days. And I remember David, I said, well, what was, what was everybody interested in there? It was all about 16 millimeter film. It was about using that as, as a medium. So um, it's all a way of saying like this stuff, it, it's old, there's stuff before it, um, and it has some sort of influence as to where we are now.
1: Yeah, I don't think that can be forgotten, and I think the starting of this chapter—it's funny to think about BBS and bulletin board systems because, like, we did use them. Like, I was trying to think of like what would I and Maybe would I count IRC chats? Would I count like other? like, would you even jump into like Craigslist at some point? Like there's different forms of what we know of like bulletin board systems outside of ed tech. um, But I think some of these initial electronic forums or electronic based communications and BBS actually, as Martin said, like he says it, it really started the forerunner of what we know of social media and, this might be what we have to think of now as threaded conversations and it's still what happens on the daily on these different platforms and services and I don't think it could be forgotten and um, whether you were started in that community college in Arizona back in the day, I think it does say what I think I found most interesting what you said is we had no idea what they would become. Like, that's the thing. What the heck is this? And why and how are people going to use this? And will this matter? And that's a great question. Did you think about that? Like when you're in that early nineties and you're kind of like,
0: huh? I, I could like say what I thought. I don't know exactly <laughs> if I, I was thinking about that. Uh, the, um the thing about, you know, it, I don't think it's as much about the threaded discussions It was kind of the fact. Um, and, and maybe at that time, um, it had the advantage of the fact that it was more insular and isolated because there wasn't this big, vast communication pool. So, um, and you went to these things um, because of, and there's a name for it. It's just like interest-driven communities. Um, so people formed a, a BBS because they're interested in Ford Mustangs or they're interested in Leo Tolstoy. And so there there was a way for people to find other people with similar passions and interests who necessarily they didn't, you know, rub elbows with during the day. And that's what the early BBSs provided. Um, and there's a huge barrier to get there. I mean, because the technology, you know, you know, when you read about the early, you know, in the 80s, the development of the modem, it's like, um, it was like, It was not only expensive, it was hard to figure out how to do. Um, And running one of these things was a big undertaking. Um, And um, if you really want to know the history about it, um, is is to look at the work of um, uh, – Jason Scott, who's with the Internet Archive now, he's got this great site about the history of, of BBS. And I just found how much there's a whole documentary, an eight-part documentary, um, that's about this this early era um, and what it meant for people. So did I think about, you know, where it would go? Um, not really. Um, I think just the fact um, that there was a space for people to have uh, conversation um, about the things they were interested in, which didn't mean everything had to be about Ford Mustang. So invariably in those conversations, people would reveal something else. Oh, well, you know, I like to make bread. (laughs) It's like, Oh, I like to make bread too. Um, and so kind of having a place where there are people who you would brush elbows with and could sort of riff off of you. Um, and, um, perhaps, you know, mediated by the fact that, you know, you and I are doing this, we can look at each other right now, but, you know, having to type it and sort of like wait for the reply. I mean, it's almost getting back to, you know, the first BBSs were, were probably like, you know, um, you know, letters, <laughs> you know, it's just Chain the mail. technology was, was slow, you know, you know, waiting, you know, I would write, you know, a, a message in the conversation and, and someone would, would come back um, and it would take days you know, to have that conversation. So maybe it's the compression uh, of it right now. And maybe with, you know, the stuff we have now, maybe it's too compressed. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't say, but um, I think it was just something about um, uh, the ability for people um, to, to get to a place um, where um, they they could talk about their interests or their struggles um, and, and, um, you know, I guess what wasn't there was kind of the, the implications like that information would be used about them or it'd be collected or, or, or um, it had, you know, impact. Um, it was more about just the things we were talking about. It wasn't like this whole layer of, of, Oh, now there's like a political you know context for everything or um, someone is in there and um, they're trying to manipulate me. Like that wasn't there at all. Um, but back to your original question, did I have any idea where this would go? Um, I just think from the very first um like little small things that I remember doing, um, the greatest thing was was contacting someone from like another part of the world um that you would never get a chance to have that connection um and, and have it be a kind of this level of of communication. And so yeah, there there were inklings of that. Um, within um, some of the early text-based dialogue systems, um, you know, think about the early when I went to University of Delaware in the in early '80s. Like there were, I remember on the mainframe there were like you know multi-user games that we would play, and it was just text. And so um, some of it, like about this chapter and the comment that that Martin said, was just like you know forgetting about um, how rich a text conversation could be.
1: Yeah, you're saying two things that we need to hear right now. Maybe we need to slow down and have that buffer or that wait time between a, a conversation. One thing you posted was about it, the direct communication, but it was indirect, but it reached that community. So an interest group is like what my jam is, those communities of practice, right? So people are like, I'm invested in this community of inquiry or this community of practice or this interest area that that spun into things that we saw later like meetup groups um that we see that people went to and you're talking about the 80s but in early aughts i used a where are we where are you now or where are you now network and it was a traveling network so if you were going to go and live in another country or go somewhere else you can ask people questions about it because and that's like 2004 five so it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have all these social media spaces that we interacted and met. Like we've also flattened our communication to an extent across the globe, but has that helped us? That's a great question. I was like, I don't know. I think we need more pauses between what we write and what we think. And we don't have that anymore.
0: Yeah. And you know, the, the BBS, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, now we think of them as like threaded forums. And so if you think that sounds old like um like there are so many of them out there they're just niche that that are thriving right now so um yeah, i'm just thinking i'm looking outside at my i have a 1998 Ford F150 and like every time i need to figure something out like i'm looking up i end up in this um intense threaded discussion forum of Ford F150 enthusiasts <laughs> and you know that's as niche as it gets probably um but like There is, you know, um, all kinds of obviously helpful things that you find there. Um, But like, you know, people are brash with their opinions. um, They're kind, they're rude, um, but they're there because they love Ford F-150s. And um, those environments are still um, really fresh. And I think what often also gets forgotten um, in about this era where I came on, and I didn't really do much to it, but was the internet news groups. Um, right. which was another text-based discussion um, sort of uh, protocol um, that was available um, before the graphical web um, for people to engage in these topical interests. And, you know, and some of them, you know, there were some really bad bleak that went on in them. Um, there, there there was abuse, you know, it's it's like Reddit at its worst and its best. Um but um, it was really rich and thriving uh, based upon people, you know, typing words (laughs) and pressing return. Um, So it was messaging. Um, And so that that's an interesting little error that kind of fueled, you know, you know, where where Martin gets to about what they were looking at, um, at the OU, Um, and so, uh, you know, I can talk about the, the thing, the reason I jumped in with, with my comment about what happened at Maricopa. But yeah,
1: please do, because it's funny to hear, as you talk about, we go to these things for interest or learning. And, yeah, we have tech space for all time. Hat tip to Reddit and others that maybe should be taken down offline these days. But it, it, it was a space of the time you went for interest. There was a little bit more anonymity that's one thing I will call out and some people felt safe or maybe didn't because they were harassment, but some people went to forums for health concerns or uh, postpartum or PTSD. We like things that are now talked about maybe more openly, but there were safe spaces on the web that people could have these conversations that would feed back into a forum, but, I don't know in March chapter, and this is probably where you're commenting about, like he talks about the students saying that these ways that we're communicating online are less effective for getting help, tutoring, socializing, and saving time because maybe it was a wait time, but how did you find that in your experiences?
0: Um, yeah, these answers are like, yeah, well, everything, yes, happened uh, under there. But um, I guess, you know, the the thing I always come back is it's, it's like impossible to characterize an entire space like that. So, you know, you yeah. know, people it's like, Oh, well, Twitter's a burning dump fire, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, it is. But you know, but like, there's so many things that happen in there that, that are, so like, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, you can't really paint. And, and for <laughs> you to say that, that means you have to read every tweet. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of do a, a meta-analysis of it, which which is impossible. So we all base it upon our individual experiences there um, yeah. and, and what we know of others. Um, I guess, you know, and I'm, I should have gone back and look at that post that, that Martin wrote about this. Um, some of it is just because I've been um, sort of like doing my own bit of 20 some years ago about when I started. And, um, you know, I didn't even know what I was walking into. And I got this job at Maricopa. In fact, it was a lark. I, I was totally unqualified. And um, my, um, the person who hired me, uh, Naomi Story, bless her heart, uh, who taught me about storytelling, she thought there's something different about me. <laughs> um, and so if, if it wasn't for her, I'd, I'd probably I don't know where I'd be, you know, you know, some geology prof somewhere. Um, but I mean, Maricopa, I mean, some people know about the system, but um, what they did, um, they were thinking about this stuff in the 80s. I mean, they, they put in um, computers first for some efficiency means, but um, there were VAX mainframes put on all the campuses to, to manage things and, and curriculum. Uh, but there's also people thinking about asking, like, how do we use these things um, for teaching? And, and, you know, that's what I didn't even realize about it was like this incredible bit there. Um, you know, we talk about stuff being driven by pedagogy, et cetera, um, but it, it really happened there. So um, the thing I mentioned, um, this platform called Electronic Forum um, was developed in 1990 and it didn't come from a techie. It came from an English teacher at Glendale Community College named Karen Schwamm, uh, amazing person. And I really I kind of like want to reach out and find out where she is in the world. She loves motorcycles. I know that about her. Um she was so passionate um and um she basically w- was really feeling like um students in her english classrooms um weren't getting like enough practice um writing um just pure writing not like simon and writing you get better at writing by writing and she got this idea that she wanted something um where students could have a journal um an electronic space that they could do you know at home or out of class or in the computer lab and initially it was called the electronic journal. And, um, you know, and then, you know, think about it, like, you know, there had to be like, she worked with um, an incredibly um, savvy tech guy named Chris Zagar who developed this. Um, there had to be a way to sort of like create a space where only students in English 103 could communicate so and that's very that's like mundane now but that was a technical task was how to separate the writings of one group from another but um, some of the big components that were introduced there is that came from her is that um, students who wrote there could write under a pen name so you, you wrote about anonymity so that was a feature of the system that came from you know a pedagogical standpoint um, and so um, it really was all about wanting to. Um, I'm looking at this article I found. The original purpose of the journal was to improve writing skills, it was to be writing for learning rather than writing for evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and here in 1990, like this is what she says what we discovered was the journal gave a voice to silenced or marginalized students. For instance, a student who never spoke in class was very active on the journal contributing over 20,000 words in one semester. And so what they found was that this electronic journal space, um, which was really a place where, if I remember right, it was all text-based. You know, any student in the class could write something, and then other students would write in and give each other feedback. Um, And a teacher could participate, or they could not. Um, But they could also like look and see and get some analytics, if you will, on the things and the ways that students were doing writing. But the whole purpose was to get them just doing more writing. Um, But what they found was there's uh, some incredible community effects within students in the class. So they would lend each other support. Um, They would sort of like go off on those tangents about their interest. And so it was kind of a mix of a structured and semi-structured uh, place. And then it, it, it kind of took off because she used it, she designed it for, for English class, but it went on to be used um, if there was a teacher who who was teaching um, legal uh, stuff. <laughs> I'm forgetting the name for it, but um, I remember reading that he really saw it because um, it was important for students um, in, in, in recognizing that in 1990 that there was an importance to understand electronic communication and the legal implications of it. And what's the best way to do it? do electronic communication. Um, It became used in math. And then as it became useful at sort of like a course level at Glendale Community College, and that spread to some of the other ones, um, they realized that there was a need for sort of like, those are private forums. They they created like these public forums as a place um, for people who use the system to have open conversations. And there was talk about people having these rigorous debates about science and religion and there was talk going on there was um there were some issues over um a tragic incident where some uh employees remember this supermarket had badly um, injured um an african-american customer over some altercation and so there was discussions about race and tension and there's economics and again Maricopa, these are community college students. So these are students not there full time. These are students maybe taking one class at a time or taking 10 years to move through a program, working, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I think when it was originally developed, um, you know, Glendale had sort of like this rich. uh, facility, um, this computing commons, like you know, the typical giant computing lab where students could walk in and use their computers. But um, the system was designed eventually so it could be done uh, with modem, which technology dial up, and people, so they're able to do it from home. Um, I remember some of the examples of classes that were having uh, people could join in outside the system as guest. So the idea about bringing an expert in from you know the UK, if there was some there. Uh-huh. Um, but that, that became a thing of, and so, um, it became this thing that, you know, some people talk about where you sort of, you have your class and it's a little bit, that's your community, but it becomes a little bit more porous where you can bring in or reach out to people elsewhere. So it was early days of sort of network communication. Um, but the beauty was that it was all, it was based on text. Um, and, and, and the whole goal, um, was to have people, um, do writing um, which you know there were assignments that people that instructors probably had their students do but I think initially um, Karen's idea was this was less to be um, structured assignment writing space and more for students uh, to practice reflecting about what they're doing um, or asking questions Uh, but you know as I went back and looked at some of those quotes the fact that um, faculty were clearly recognized that um, you know, they had this idea in class where everybody's participating and paying attention, and they're not. Like, you know, there's, you know, the people in the class who dominate the conversation, and there's the people who don't feel comfortable. And so, they really found that this electronic journal um, gave a place for more students to participate and evolve, and perhaps, you know, then become more discussive in class. Um, So, it was a remarkable era. Um, you know, they were using it. You know, I started in '92, um, and, and um, I know it was it was pretty widely used within the Maricopa system. Um, one of the great examples is a colleague of mine at Paradise Valley Community College, um, Donna Rebido, who did psychology and, and wellness classes. Um, she did this fabulous thing and I use it now. Um, she had this intro activity and it was called um, the view from where I sit. And so she asked her students, and again, this was text space to um, describe um, the space in which they're doing this work on their computer. Like, you know, right now I'd be telling you about the um, the rows of books on my walls and my look out the window, but they were doing this in text. And so it was a way for people um, to sort of give a sense to others about the place where they are um, in an environment where they can't see each other, like you and I can easily do now. Um, and so um, I, I love this idea. It's a great interactivity of like you're doing this online work, um, whether COVID or not, um, you know, and not like we have to be looking at that space with cameras and, and videos, but like what's important about that space like you know um you know you, you pulled your curtain behind you but i was like looking at the furniture but you know you surround your personal space you know with things that are important to you i got pictures of dogs and rocks and stuff that used to you know these personal spaces are important and so the fact that they were doing this as text um as a way for students to get to know each other was, was really brilliant um and i'm pretty sure you know, I remember people using electronic form um, pretty widely into the mid 90s, maybe the late 90s um, at, at Maricopa. Um, I'd have to, to check some of that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot I want to go on and t- talk about some of the um, other movements that went on there. Um, but um, I just lucked out so much, Laura. I just, I actually, I literally fell into this job, and it was probably one of the most um, innovative places um, in terms of thinking about technology and, um, and, and teaching and learning and social awareness and connectivity, and not just the technology part. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't be more luckier than hold their dice on me in that interview in 1992.
1: Um, all that you've said is reminding me of, so this is not the only episode in between the chapters that people are really Hopeful, maybe nostalgic, maybe thankful for where we started in a pioneering space, a space we didn't know that was going to mean something. And these textual interactions, and I love the, um, equity that comes out of that, the inclusion that we think about it when we introduce that to our learners. Um, all of this was the basics that we got started with. And it only challenges me to think, do we mess this up somewhere by converting VBS into like, discussion forum putting into the learning management system and requiring it to be graded because that writing aspect of describing where you are and I, I like that alan's like trying to describe i'm in like my world of oz curtain it's just a sound buffer it's not to hide my background point of information listening yeah and it's it's just like it's funny to get to know people and i think this will spin out as i talk to folks about the blog chapter but just the textual idea Coming from someone who loves, like you do, media. Like we love audio and video and storytelling and the narrative. But what does the ma- narrative look like in text only if you had to describe it? It offers people a space to think more. It offers people that maybe, not, what, maybe don't speak the same language as their initial language is what I think about. It gives an access point of um, somewhere else to write so where it's seen or where they are seen in the class. And yeah, there's different, different pedagogies behind that and why we do that. But maybe we don't do that enough anymore. And asking for just the text, I don't know.
0: It could be. I mean, to me, it also is like, um, for me as the reader, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing the cognitive, the mental work of of imagining it as I see it. And Mm. so, um, first of all, video is just too easy to show. Um, It's way easy. Uh, there was, um, uh, you know, and, and, I love audio, um, and audio always gets a short script, although we're doing a podcast thing. Um, but, um, and, uh, but doing audio storytelling when I was doing DS 106 was like the thing that people dreaded the most. They didn't understand it. Um, they mostly feared the sound of their own voice, which everybody does. Sure. And, um, but there was, um, you know, and our, um, you know, our exemplar for studying this was *This American Life*, um, and, and and you know it wasn't just about the the greatness and quality of their shows, but it was their storytelling approaches. And um, there was an episode I vividly remember where they were covering um, um, this high school in Chicago um, that had this um, rash of, of murders um, committed by students. There was violence, there guns in the high school, and um, I can't remember where, but Argus was talking about it. And he's like, it'd be too easy to do this in video. I can show you what the school looks like. I can show you what the hallways look like. I can show you the neighborhood. But he says, in audio, we have to suggest it. We have to sort of build the setting through ambient sounds, through the things that people say. And that means um, the listener, it's easy because I can just watch the video and see what the school looks like. But when I'm listening to the story, I'm building – um, my own mental image of it, and whether it's right or wrong doesn't even matter. But that, when done well, should be more engaging. And it's not like to say I'm like, oh, we just need to go back to text only and write letters and things like that. No, I, I love the media. Um, but there's so much uh, – sometimes we think we get overwhelmed with, like, how much media we can do, and, and um, you know, I love – sometimes more working with, you know, media that has limitations and figuring out the creative ways around it. And so that's what was going on with, with, with you know, the BBS era and, and the fact that, you know, um, you know, at the U, um, at Martin's University, the Open University, they were trying to say, like, you know, what are the affordances of this technology that people are using now that um, we can put to use? Um, and so, yeah, whether the discussion forum, um, you know, I don't think it matters whether I don't think the LMS is, you know, there's a lot of problems, you know, and I hate the LMS as much as the next person. Um, But it doesn't mean it can't have good discussions. It's, it's the things that we do in there. So, you know, if, if we're doing the, you know, comment, post and reply three times this week, well, as a student, I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to go through the motions here rather than like, wait a minute, I'm like lost in this engagement about, you know, the, you know, the meritocracy of, you know, of of blah, 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 blah. And um, I I think when people kind of get drawn into something um, and lose the fact that they're there because it's an assignment or, um, or that thing where you you do a web search for something um, and then like way at the bottom of the page, there's a link to something that sounds interesting and then oh the rabbit and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a rabbit hole and so um you know my friend donna rabbit who i mentioned we, she did this great thing where would do these presentations in the mid 90s about how wonderful the web was and she said like next time you go looking for something on the internet write down what you're looking for on a sticky note and put it on the, on the side of your computer forget about it set a uh, an egg timer 10 minutes later, see where you are and how far away you got from that. It was it was like, it's so classic of her. Um, but, you know, I'm working on a project now where someone thinks like, oh, don't put hyperlinks in. That'll be a distraction to people. And they'll go away. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's a web. Like, you know, that's the whole purpose is to make people be able to find those the, those rabbit holes. And um, if we don't construct or create experiences that have those doorways for people to get out and wonder um, we're just missing out on so much.
1: I love that you put uh, narrative as textual and audio. So we're both biased because we're big audiophiles as well. So I know this from Alan, he mentioned DS 106 for anyone listening. It's, Digital Storytelling 106 was part of a curriculum. And then I envisioned a small pirate ship as you had a pirate radio station as well uh, that gets (laughs) handed off to different people. But it's a way that people, you brought narrative to the audio side. You brought voice and you brought music and you brought other things that that were really cool. And I was like, man, I wish they had a pirate ship and they could sail over and pick me up. And uh,
0: (laughs) I joined the pirate radio station myself. So, yeah, like (laughs) <laughs> it's just out there yeah the the main group project when we taught it um was to do um a radio show um mm-hmm. and, and do it a, as a group um and, and those were the most brilliant The, the one I remember the most was uh, uh these uh students from University of mary Washington um their radio show was about the dysfunction of group project. So they had every, every trope. There was like the, the girl who just talked too much and, and just rambled on and on and got everybody distracted. Then there was the, the guy who didn't do anything and showed up drunk. And then it was just funny. It was brilliant because they took the assignment and they made it a meta level thing about it was a group project and the show was about everything that's bad about group projects. And I love that. They did that. You know, we didn't do that. And so the thing that worked in in DS106, it wasn't like there were assignments and things that we asked students to do, um, but there's room for them to deviate or to reinterpret um, how they did it. And it wasn't really prescribed. um, And that's really liberating. Um, You know, at the same time, it's easy to say, well, yeah, that's a class about creativity and media. You know, why can't, I can't do that in algebra? No, BS. (laughs) There's, There's always a way... Uh, to do that, and my, my high school math teachers, Mr. Witz did that, you know, it, yeah, we're learning calculus, but you know all of a sudden he'd be teaching us like you know what it means that 's how you build bridges, you know you can't have those giant cables without doing the calculus, and so um there were there were good teachers always create those you know whether they're rabbit holes or portals um, or opportunities um yeah how
1: can you learn about economics you can play a monopoly uh as my economics teacher in high school said what may have been my father as well we'll talk about that one later and also like how do you learn probability and it could be gambling it could be chance and choice and i think what's really neat about this initial chapter being like one of the first foundations is saying there is possibility with bulletin board systems that did lay the groundwork for people to challenge by choice and sure text was one way, but if you have um, textual discussion now, do people have ways that they can interpret an assignment and interpret a conversation communication? And we can now, we didn't back then, but the possibility and one of the challenges I'd say that stagnates that post one comment three is that grading aspect. Like if you're evaluating it for that text-based communication is that really something you need to evaluate and should that be really what participation's about or communications about? And I don't know. I think that's a a good call out that unless we have more of the ungrading movement out there, I don't know if uh, it's a hard, it's a hard sell to some teachers that are like, I just need to know how to do the evaluation of the student.
0: So
1: (laughs) what are some lessons do you think like Martin talked a little bit about um, and thinking about this infrastructure of just back and forth communication. And this was really, I think you put it as, and he did to the open and closed communication, or it's just the direct communication. It's expanded a lot. And I think, like, this is how we met on, as we said, Twitter. And we were really hopeful then, and I still am, that it's not all a dumpster fire and it's not all terrible. Uh, it's been co opted by some bad actors, but that happens in a lot of places. So it's, it, I don't know if I always blame the medium itself. Well, sometimes look at you, Zuckerberg, and Facebook. But I will say, like, are we thinking about ways that we would value some of these BBS foundational things now? And I guess you said it once, it's like about storytelling in different ways. I love that you brought up this American life, like radio, old school radio listening. I'm a, C- I'm a CBC listener, Canadian broadcast radio, to podcasts that we're hearing. Do you see some of these foundations being played out today?
0: I again like how do I see it all? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I and I, it's too easy to sort of like lock it down to the um, the medium or the forum, you know, on, on Twitter. So um, uh, a lot of it is just the struggle. Um, was it Dana Boyd talked about it being, um, you know, private in public spaces? Um, so um, some of it is a way, you know, people invent code language to talk about things. Um, you have to be in to understand what's going on. Um, it's probably more more of a challenge and so i don't know if the answer is necessarily like oh we need more private spaces or more um public spaces i I think um we just have to like add our own levels and the way we um teach and model or figure out ways um that within the dumpster fire we can have um you know some great circle dances or, or things so um you know and so it's it's too easy to get caught up in everything that that's horrible and um and forget about um because usually i mean you know the stuff that is horrible gets way more attention um than the small everyday um things that happen when someone just reaches out and says like um i don't know something about what you said laura makes me feel like (laughs) you're a little bit concerned about the future or um you know it's like my grandmother had that my grandmother you know collected the same sort of like you know patch quilts or um the fact that like um this just happened okay you know my my passion thing is is photography and so um my flicker photos like um someone came across a picture i posted like eight or nine years ago i mean that alone of this um i was at umw and i printed out or or, uh tim owens helped me print out a 3d butterfly um because uh, my mom who had passed away had this thing about butterflies um representing you know when you see a butterfly it represents you know a loved one who's passed on who's coming back to reassure you and it was very sweet Mm -hmm. and i'm like wait a mom i don't believe in that stuff but um but maybe I do because you know, you see a butterfly, and so I just like posted that story with the audio clip. Um, and someone I don't know, I don't know where she is, um, just wrote a comment on this picture that's like eight or nine years old about how, um, it was an interchange she had with her daughter um, who had seen a butterfly and her mom was asking you, you know, why do you, you know, why are you so interested in this butterfly? Like a typical mom daughter conversation. And Her daughter said something about, well, you know, grandma told me every time you see a butterfly, think of me. And like, I almost cried. Like wow. this person doesn't know me. Like, but they, they reached out and um, you know, maybe it's that bit about the way that um whatever it is, whether it's the text or um, it can be in TikTok, that, that, um, that we just have a little bit of exposed vulnerability or um, or just do something at a person-to-person scale instead of this um, kind of trying to blast a message. Like, you know, so, you know, I, I probably delete more tweets I start writing about the current political situation because it's just like this isn't going to do anything. And, and then I sound like I'm crazy or just like, it doesn't make a difference. And, and yeah. so, um, I think if we kind of, if more of us could just step away from sort of like all the yelling and screaming and, uh, do more of just the, um, having, you know, smaller conversations in, in the big public space, um, you know, I, I think that's a step. I, I always think like with any of these things, even if it's a freaking LMS where everything's locked up and, and, and scrutinized and collected and, and data analyzed, um, there's always creative ways to kind of like subvert that space to do something um, that maybe they didn't plan for or that wasn't designed or just um, to use your, your voice in those spaces. So um, I, I kind of think like going back to like, what I thought or was going to happen is just like, um, yeah, in some ways I'm, I'm still the sarcastic kind of like guy no. who thinks he's really funny um, <laughs> or, or or clever. Um, but like, I don't think like the space changes me. I I, I kind of feel like I'm going to be the same or somewhat core part of me. Whether, um, you know, writing you an email, whether we're having this conversation in Zoom, whether we're going back by some text messaging, there's elements of, it's not like our full identity, but there's some kind of, you know, usness ness um, that gets transmitted. Um, and that worked very well in, in BBSs because there wasn't much else you could do except pick up a phone and call someone or write them a letter. And like, wait a minute, there's a way we can sort of like, you know, converse kind of in a public space um, with more than just you and I, but like, you know, imagine there were, you know, 200 people who could chime in on this conversation, uh, but not at the same time, which would be impossible to hear. Um,
1: it's so kind of like I, what, I, what we do already. Like, it's, I, it's funny, the spin-off of you putting yourself in, Flickr is a great example because that does share more of you and I, I have an account too. I, I've been loving that for that community, but our blogs we do this in, we pop in, more personal than not and when you are open and open and sharing a little bit about you're thinking about not just the this is the thing i do but this is about me people like those are the most prominent blog posts so i even think about what's the current discussion board that i'm stuck with at work is slack and we just moved to it and i was like i hate slack but then i was like there's a photo interest group i'm into so like i'm gonna go to that slack thread in that channel um because you're right people will go to the spaces that intrigues them um, that they want to learn from or that they're like, wow, I just learned a bit more about this person themselves and you're developing rapport. So I love that you brought that up because um, I think that's really what attracts people to meet one another. And it is social, even if it is um, in that old electronic forum or discussion bbs format i think if you say something or show something or bring something in that conversation space um it it signifies who you are and even a piece of you like you said doesn't have to be all of you doesn't have to be tmi but it does have to be like you so how many times and you've had this before people meet you and they're like oh you're really like you are online and you're like (laughs) how else else am i supposed to be like people have said to me like oh you're actually you and i went I can't be anyone else, but it does remind me that not everyone shows up that way. So I think I value um, Martin writing about this in terms of a way to create socialization interaction. It was early day forming back in 1994, and now it's almost a requirement to put yourself out there in a different way. And I like still the fun, sarcastic, banter, snarkiness, and I'm grateful for Martin doing this, Let me uh, have conversations about um, this work and what we think of. Are there questions that you would ask to know about this chapter that wasn't included that maybe we could say in an edit or uh, we could speak to? Oh, um,
0: oh, I don't know. No, I yeah, I didn't do my homework to think about like like questions. <laughs> I, you know, there wasn't like you know it it mo- it all made sense to me and and um, you know he he had a couple things like I I wasn't really familiar with the platform that that he worked with um so you know um you know, the question would just be you know um like you know obviously I, i'm a little curious to think about what else was going on um in the space you know in, in the early 90s and um i'll send you a link for this but um if you i mentioned this resource by jason scott mm-hmm. he basically has a database of all bulletin board systems it's like I don't know, 30 or 40,000 of them. And you can look them up by area code because they are in different cities and you can, you start to dive in there and you go down these little holes and you sort of see these little um, groups of things. And then all of a sudden you think about like, there is a massive amount of communication going on and, um, and no one can say they, they they know it all. And so um, there's somewhat of that, that sense about, um, like some things possibly getting lost as we've moved into these larger giant pools of communication, whether, you know, and it includes like, you know, um, like, you know, I almost like jump up in the air when I see like a valuable positive YouTube comment. Cause like, wait a minute, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it does, it does. I can't it say does. that. Um, but it doesn't mean like a space is all bad and, and all good. And so um, I get way more good, things that that i get out of twitter than bad i still do and and you know oh yeah because you know you know i'm privileged or whatever that, that kind of thing it's like i think no if you if you kind of like kind of operate in it at maybe sometimes at the personal level um and think about like you know, you know, and the things that go on between the private level of a, a direct message, or um, but you you can have those private messages in public too. Like you know, mm-hmm. so you know, you can mention something. I can tweet something. You know, I'll do it to Clint a lot, um, and like probably only he and I know about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but saying it in public is kind of fun and, <laughs> a, in a way, and maybe that's just my thing. So um, some of it is just about like. Um, You know, I I don't, you know, I don't want to glorify the BBS era, but um, there was something about it that kind of at least set the stage for the things that that came next. Um, And uh, and it made sense, you know, to stop because it was difficult to do the, you know, to connect those things. They were, um, you know... uh, They were not really, you know, run by, like, TCPIP standards, so the technology might have been flighty. Maybe it wasn't. Um, But, like, getting away from the technology level, the fact that it it led this place for people um, to come together, um, again, drawn by an interest. And so, you know, in Twitter you could say, like, well, you know, where's the interest groups? Like, is it a hashtag? No, not really, because hashtags get used for multiple purposes. Um, So I think it becomes – in, those, in, in the BBS days, it was rigidly defined because that was a limitation of the platform. Like you couldn't get everybody to see the same BBS. You had to know the phone number. Um, if, if you were in Seattle and wanted to participate in my BBS in Miami, you'd have to pay long distance phone calls. Um, so there was some forced um, creation of these uh, groups that probably provided some level of, of safety and comfort. Um, and so how how can that happen now in a place where like everybody can sort of possibly see what you're talking about um so i i think it just means um the technology itself doesn't provide us those comfortable like separate rooms um or bubbles um we have to sort of figure out how to do it within our our own behavior and and that's harder um and you know it's it's easier to get drawn in and slide off and and then just say oh screw this all, I'm deleting my account again, (laughs) which I've never done, but...
1: Yeah, no, that reminds me, like, you're right, I'm really excited to get this, uh, see this documentary because I'm an archivist at heart and netnographer, so I would say you're right, forums used to be a bit more intimate, and we could still have that level of community and intimacy and conversation if you choose to, and that just reminds me that, you're right, we can't forget what BBS brought us, even today, um... Maybe it's not a hashtag, or maybe we're just not sharing our secret hashtags with you, Alan, but maybe we will. Um, But I'll definitely include a couple of the things you mentioned in the notes for this episode, because I think it's worth thinking back to what was versus what is, and where do we want to be part of those communication spaces today? And maybe it's what we create and make the most of in public and maybe private forums. That is really how I'm, I'm thinking about it. So. Thanks for batting this, like, BBS around a bit. Uh, It seems like an old topic, but still relevant, I think.
0: Yeah, it was fun. You've been listening to Between the Chapters with your host, Laura Pisquini. For more information or to subscribe to Between the Chapters and 25 Years of Ed Tech, visit 25years.opened.ca.